find out what's happening, or to give a gift online, check us out at www.gatewayfoursquare.ca. You are welcome to join us in person each week at 9 and 11 a.m. Now get ready. Here is this week's message. Let's dig in. I want to just bring a kind of a wrap-up sermon to the sermon series, Citizens, where we've been looking at living as citizens of the kingdom of heaven in this world, and we could go on for four years about all the different aspects and unique attributes of the kingdom of God and how we express that in the world today. But I just really felt as I was uh, praying this week, I was going to go in another direction, but then now we're going to go in this direction, turning to uh, the book of Colossians, um, as a way of just recognizing, again, the clash of culture, the clash of citizens of this world, uh, the clash of then also work citizens of heaven, and how do we navigate those dynamics? How also do we avoid some pitfalls and risks that are uh, coming at us in the world that we need to be aware of? And so today I want to share a message just about uh, thinking about Jesus, which I did not call Shauna this week and say, Shauna, we should sing those songs in the worship set because that will really set up my sermon. We didn't do that, but the songs kind of completely set up my sermon this morning, which is often one of those little God highlighter moments of praise the Lord. I want us to think about Jesus. It's where I want us to draw our attention to. Why? Because we have been brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. And what's his name? Jesus. You belong to the kingdom of Jesus. And so let's think about our king. Because uh, here sometimes we run a bit of a risk. We can kind of get, by just the normal routine of life and these things, we can begin to think of our Christian faith as something a bit abstract, as, a, as an identifying group that we belong to, as a system of thoughts and truth statements and, and a historical tradition or something like that. And many of those things are true. But today what I really want to emphasize is that if we're going to live as citizens, we've got to lean in to our king, Jesus. It's all about him. And I just want to encourage you it's so good to walk with Jesus. Patricio believes it. It's so good to walk with Jesus. In all of the seasons of life that we might find ourselves in. I was thinking about this on a two, no, it was Monday night. Well, it wasn't Monday night, it was Tuesday morning. But about 3.30 in the morning on Tuesday, uh, I was getting our house ready to stage for photos and all of these sorts of things. Uh, praise the Lord. But there, uh, afterwards, I was thinking about that moment. And, I, uh, and I, during that evening, uh, I, I just had my, my, uh, my cell phone and my, my iTunes playing, and I was listening to worship music. And I'm cleaning the house and rearranging furniture and staging and, and trying to do the last minute like, oh, we need, Deanna told me at about four something when I was pin nailing trim in the kitchen that I needed to go to bed. But anyways, it's so good to walk with Jesus. How? Well, in those moments, I was so grateful. Actually, I, just before I went to bed, I was laying down. I was like, oh, Lord, how good are you? In a moment that I could have been like, have you been there before? I have. Overtired, stressed, all these sorts of things. But I realized something later that I was like, I just had some really good times with Jesus. 
I'm doing this stuff and cleaning up, and no joke, I wasn't intentionally doing this for a sermon and being like, I should have this all life. But I was just, just talking to the Lord, and it's 3.30 in the morning, and I'm like, Lord, I'm so thankful that we have a house to fix and kids to take care of. And Lord, I'm thankful you've given us these things. And, and here you are with me and I'm singing and I'm doing my thing and praising the Lord. And it's just amazing when you walk with Jesus. It's not perfect or pain-free, but it's good when you walk in relationship with your king. And there's some moments here as we kind of look now Again, that was just practical out of our world. And sorry, some of the illustrations are going to be kind of in the, that's where our headspace has been for a couple of weeks here. Uh, but I want to jump in thinking about the broader context we find ourselves into, the world in which we live. And in many ways, the world that the church in, uh, that Paul was writing to in Colossae, he wrote this letter to real Christians at a real point of history, and they were facing some challenges not too dissimilar from the challenges that we face. So Paul instructed them, and I think we very easily can apply this instruction to us. And so what are we talking about? What were they facing? Well, Colossians 2, if you've, I'm, we're going to do two and then go back to one. We're going to look at a couple of verses in a few different spots to try to get a sense of this. Uh, Paul was writing, I'll start in Colossians 2.1. I don't know if that verse will come on the screen. I think by verse 4 it will, but let's put it in context. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. This is Paul speaking to these believers. For those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. At the end of the day, Paul's saying, I want them to know Jesus. It goes on and says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Did you know that? All treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in who? Well done. Jesus. So if you need wisdom and knowledge, who should you talk to? Your king, Jesus. Paul's drawing their attention to Christ. I say this in order that no one, verse 4, that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness in your faith. Skipping down to verse 8, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul's warning them because false teaching was creeping in to this early church. Ways of thinking, patterns of living contrary to the gospel were being presented and taught to these Christians and Paul's wanting them not to be deceived. So what does he do? He draws their attention back to Jesus. In this letter, he doesn't spend a heap of time talking about all of the deficiencies in all of those philosophies and all of the reasons why they should stop worshiping idols and being legalists and all these things. He doesn't spend a time unpacking the flaws in their logic, which I'm all for figuring those things out. 
But as first priority, Paul's saying, there are things coming against you as a church, winds of doctrines, ways of thinking that will sidetrack you, derail you, deceive you, pull you away from the Lord. And so the solution that Paul presents is again, Jesus. He makes much of the Lord. Because if we're gonna live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven in this world, we will, the Bible says, have trouble. We will, the Bible repeats over and over again, be exposed to false teaching, bad ideas. Even some of them seem appealing or correct. Our best safeguard is to keep our eyes on Jesus and the marvel and wonder of who he is. In the midst of false teaching and a call to compromise, Paul draws their attention back to Christ. And today, as we wrap up this sermon series, I just want to simply do the same. I want to read a number of verses now out of Colossians chapter 1. I first wanted to put you, why was Paul writing this? Because of these things coming against them. We don't know all the details about whether it was full-on Gnostic teaching or whether it was some Jews coming in and teaching a particularly legalistic way of approaching the Lord. You'll see some feelings of that if you read through the book where it's like, you know, certain days and foods and these sorts of things, that will help make you holy and all this sort of stuff. And Paul's like, let's just do the main thing first. Let's keep our eyes on the Lord. So in Colossians chapter 1, in verse 13, and then we'll read through. And to some extent, I want to let these verses just kind of speak for themselves. Many scholars would say that this is like some of the highest Christology, the theology of Jesus in the Bible, where there's one of the clearest passages about how we understand who Jesus is. And the thing that I want to just, I'm praying the Lord would refresh us in today is, again, sometimes we kind of get by just default, like a, an, by familiarity with the Lord, we forget the wonder of the Lord and how absolutely incredible, unique, and unlike any other, uh, any other person that's ever existed, our Jesus is. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 13 and following says this, I've already referenced this one, but we'll read it so you knew where it came from. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Are you thankful that you've been delivered from the domain of darkness? When did that happen? You're like, I just feel like I grew up in Camel River and I've always been here. When did I transfer? When you got born again, before you knew Jesus, you were in the domain of darkness. You were under the influence and power of Satan and evil forces and rebellion against God. Whether you felt it, knew it or not, that's the state of affairs. You're like, how do I know that that happens? Look at the world. Like, there's a lot of great things in the world by the grace of the Lord. But when we're honest, right, there's some of these moments outside of us and inside of us. But thank the Lord he didn't keep us there. He transferred us from the dominion of darkness uh, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 15, and then it gets really dense and really good. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. How do we know what God is like, what he looks like? Not maybe for the physical thing, but how God behaves and acts and things. We look at Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And now that word firstborn can be like, oh, that means Jesus had a birthday at some point. Jesus physically came to earth and was born 
in Bethlehem, right? It's called the incarnation. But I like love every now and then to remind you, people of God, that Jesus has always existed. Even before Bethlehem, Jesus was. Half of you are like, are you sure? Yes, this is what Christians have taught and believed because this is what Jesus taught. But here it says he was the firstborn. I just want to highlight for us, firstborn does not necessarily refer to that Jesus was born at some time coming into creation. It's a word that, that we won't bother with the Greek for the sake of time for today that talks about like priority and preeminence over all other things. It's the status that Jesus has. There's, uh, uh, this, anyways, we'll keep going. Firstborn of all creation. How do we know that? Well, we read the scriptures that Jesus was there at creation and, and all these things. For by him, like verse 16, for by him all things were created. Who made everything? Jesus. So again, we need to like zoom out in our estimation and esteem of Jesus because he wasn't just, like, yes, he came to earth and we get this picture. It's easy to imagine him as a man and, and teaching and walking around and doing the things that he did, but he created everything. The whole universe, every, uh, every system of DNA, every structure in geology, uh, every quasar and nebulae and all these things that were black hole and all this stuff. Jesus made it all. That's a big deal. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Even the spiritual realm, Jesus made that too. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. And then listen to this next verse. Or next three words, and for him. Everything's for Jesus. This is why when you come into a relationship with Jesus, things make sense because you are lining up with reality. If everything's for Jesus, then I want to agree with Jesus about what everything's for about why the creation was made. How did I get here? What's my purpose on earth? All begins to sing when I line up with the reality of the case. It's all for Jesus. It's all for his glory. He's the center point of all the universe of all creation. Man, that's incredible. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, which again, not only did he make all the stuff, he holds all the stuff together. So without him, everything would just blow out into non-existence. Like it's hard. We can't, we can't wrap our heads around it. He holds all things together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Again, there's that firstborn. Jesus wasn't the first person to ever be raised from the dead. Some people in the Old Testament raised from the dead too. But he is the preeminent one. The, the most significant person uh, that was born, uh, that was the first born from the dead. Why? That in everything he might be preeminent, greatest, most majestic, uh, the highly exalted. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. Paul's going all in on Jesus. 
He's incredible. You've probably underestimated how awesome he is. You might have forgotten or never heard about how beyond our comprehension this Jesus was and is. Because he's still alive, hey? That's the Jesus we worship. So it's so fascinating. These doctrines are coming against the church, and Paul's strategy A is to be like, think more about Jesus. Not sure what to do? Just think about Jesus. If you're a believer and you're like, man, I'm facing a crazy world. What should I do? How do I respond? How do I get answers to the questions that my friends are asking and all these things? And I'm not saying we don't ever get there, but where do we start and stay? Jesus and Jesus and more Jesus. Because we can very easily in our human nature kind of get like bumped a little bit off course and think we're serving Jesus well enough. But are we centered on him? Is he the starting point? Is he the, the be-all and end-all, the beginning and the end of our own lives and our discussions and our, in our decision-making and our what-will-I-do-with-my-life moments? Jesus. And why does he get to be that? Well, because of the what Paul just described. There's no one like him. He's unfathomably good. And I love that today we spent so much time talking about his beautiful name, his powerful name, all because it's so appropriate. We lift up our eyes because here's the, the, the challenge. And I think we can feel this tension in the letter to the church in, uh, that, uh, here in the book of Colossians. We're human like they were. We get distracted too. We lose focus. And so, so Paul, again, very intentionally, becomes absolutely explicit in Colossians chapter 3. We're just jumping a little here and a little there. Colossians 3 verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, what are we to do? Seek the things that are above. Everyone say seek. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set, everyone say set, your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Man, out of all the verses that I've read today, we could do a 47-week sermon series on the beauty and majesty, the multifaceted, multidimensional glory of Jesus. But today, I want to keep it a bit simple because it's a long weekend, right? It's, it's simple in premise, but challenge to walk it out in our lives. In the midst of all of these things that Paul is loving on this church by wanting to protect, wanting to guard them, wanting to keep them Walking with Jesus, the thing they needed to keep doing was seeking the things above and setting their minds. Seeking and setting. There's a job for us. There's a response for us to do. Seeking the things that are above. That's talking, that's an intentional action. That's like when you lose your keys for the 47th time this week. You're seeking it out, right? You're looking in the drawer and pulling open the cupboard and, and all of these sorts of things. And then after a while, you realize, oh, it was just here in my pocket all along. You know what seeking looks like in the natural, you're, if, especially if it's something important. Seeking is a bit relentless. You're, you're looking under things and you're like, it's impossible that it could even got here. But you look anyways. Have you ever been there? 
seeking something that you've lost, I think it's a good picture to think about the way we should be seeking the things above. Where sometimes we're kind of like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I checked the Christian box. I live a Christian life because I checked the box. And, And then we just do our thing. Where Paul is saying, hey, in the midst of challenge, in the midst of false teaching, in the midst of risks to your faith, you've got to seek this stuff. This is a choice. These are actions. How do we seek? Well, again, it's the Sunday school song. Read your Bible, pray every day. And who sang that in Sunday school? I know my brother did. We went to the same Sunday school. Can you believe it? We seek the Lord in prayer. And, you know, there's prayer, and then there's, like, seeking the Lord. There's Bible reading, and there's seeking the Lord in the Word of God. Seek first. That word first also is a bit of a challenge. Because I wonder, for some of us, it's like seek 14th. Seek first the kingdom of God. This is a decision for us to make. Seeking, uh, you know, choosing to meditate, choosing to spend time, choosing to prioritize. Why would we do such a thing? Well, A, Jesus is worthy of it. But B, that's how we're going to keep our our runners straight, our direction true, our, our responding in crazy and wild times where we're like, I don't know what to do. Seek first. The world wants to, again, look at the way that the world works in these days, in the media and all these sorts of things. It's like, you know, you turn, you open a web page or you put on the news and it's like, panic! And then what do we do as believers? We have a choice. Will we panic or will we seek first? Like this is really, like, rubber meets the road. This is what it means to live different as citizens of heaven. We look different because we seek, we seek our king. Seek first the kingdom, uh, the, sorry, the things that are above, which, uh, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and we set our minds. There's a choice here. Citizens of heaven set their minds higher. Those, those Christians in Colossae did the, same, did the same temptations, the pull of their flesh, the desires of their bodies for comfort, for pleasure, for entertainment, for distraction. They dealt with the same things. Now, they might not have had some of the same pathways for those, you know, those things to be fulfilled. You can read in the lines. But they had the same human nature as us. There's a draw to look not up, but to look down to our flesh, what feels good now, how will I be fulfilled, these sorts of things. There's always a pull, or there can be this pull to false teaching. You know, look at Adam and Eve. It didn't take long before humans were deceived. It didn't take long at all. Oh, that sounds good. That tickles my ear. Oh, let's go after that. There's all of these pulls. The enemy is pretty decent at his schemes he tries to throw at us. And most often it seems to me that when the enemy is at work, believers, we should be setting our minds, setting our minds up. But the enemy is really interested in keeping our eyes down. And we're the boss of where our eyes are. 
I've shared this with my kids over the years. You're the boss of you. Hey, believer. <laughs> like, Jesus is your boss, but you know what I mean? We're the boss of where our eyes are going. We're the boss of what our minds are thinking about. And the enemy wants to come and do the opposite. He wants to keep drawing it down. He did that for the church in Colossae, right? Look down. Be worried about what the foods you're eating and where they came from and what day you're worshiping on and what holiday you're doing. And, and, and on and on and on, these false things would come against them and cause them to be distracted and get their minds and eyes off Jesus. And Paul said the simple teaching, get your eyes up and focus here, focus. I have to do this with my kids all the time. Look at me. Actually, I do that with the dog as well. That's what I do with the dog, not the kids. But you know what I mean? We're distractible. Our eyes are drawn down and often in. And here's one of the themes of the world that we live in today. Our world is caught in the headwinds of this, these ideas that some people might call expressive individualism. That's a fun phrase. Use it in a conversation, and people will be like, oh, wow. Now use it right, hopefully. What do we mean by that? Our culture is just drinking the Kool-Aid of expressive individualism. What it means to be a human is for you to just dig up all of the stuff on the inside of you and splash it everywhere because everyone needs to know you're an individual and you're the center of the universe. That's the gospel of the world today. And then you will be fulfilled. When you express your individuality and all these sorts of things. But what does that leave you? Looking inward. And how's that going for us? Let's be real. As believers, I was chatting with a pastor this week and, and we were kind of chatting about culture and all these sorts of things. And both of us are like, we're just more sure about Jesus and the truth of God's word than ever before. As the world goes crazy, it's like, yeah, no wonder. As we all look in as a culture and it's my preference and my expression of who I am and all these sorts of things, we look in, we look in, we look in, and we've never been more depressed. We've never been more anxious. We've never been more suicidal. We've never been more ineffective at all of these things. It's like we're missing something. Looking in is not solving your problem. Looking up will solve the problem to Jesus. This was one of the themes that came out of our Foursquare conference that we were at, uh, not last week, but the week before. It was so awesome. This whole simple idea. We've got Jesus. Our eyes can be distracted to the, some, so we might come up with solutions to the problems that are happening in the world. But guess what? The only real solution that we've got, Jesus. And, and, and that's the thing. But so no one of the enemy wants to keep us distracted and looking down and looking in. We've got to choose to set our minds elsewhere. Not on ourselves. Again, I want to make sure, we've mentioned some of these themes before, but this is in one sense a summary, so we get to say some of the stuff a second time. And maybe you weren't here the last time either. I was talking about that inward pull to expressive individualism that your most important thing is to look in and, 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 and or your truth is the truth and, and all these sorts of things. It's not the way we're wired. It's not the way we're meant to live. We're meant to live with our eyes on Jesus, who is the truth. 
The Bible says that somewhere, right? Jesus said that of himself. I am the way, the truth, the life. And our culture is like, well, who are you, Jesus, to say you're the truth? Because this is my truth, and my truth is la, 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 la. Rubbish to my truth. The truth is the truth. And it's a lie the enemy is using effectively against our world and against too many believers. We're swimming in that, and we've got to be aware of where we start to think those things. Life is about my preferences and people doing the things the way that I want to do it. My identity being rooted in some nebulous sense of myself, where how are we best fit in relationship with God and the community around us in finding my place in the right order that God has? Like our world's gone bananas because we've run this idea of expressive individualism to almost its complete extreme. And again, I'm not wanting to be disparaging or speak harshly to people that are struggling or people that need care and much love. But it's no wonder as we approach June and it's going to be Pride Month again, although I've heard some people joke, isn't it? It kind of feels like just Pride year all of the time. But even as a church, as believers, we're, in, we're being indoctrinated or attempting to be indoctrinated by the winds and the teaching of this world. And I'm not wanting to micro-focus on one issue, but it's a symptom of the broader problem of expressive individualism. So in our, in our culture, the heroes, and again, I'm not, this is not to be nasty, but our heroes are drag queens, because they've discovered something inside and they're saying, you all need to know it. And my expression of who I am is the, and, and people are like, oh, wow, they're so authentic. And we all need to, this is a symptom of a problem that's not, it's not working. And we need to be kind and compassionate and call people to life and truth and all these sorts of things. Like, don't get me wrong. But the reality is, Christians, how do we keep navigating a world when we're like, during the middle of Pride Month, it's like, what do I do, Lord? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Do that first. Do that a lot, and then see what Jesus has for you to do, okay? Because uh, you might be like, this sounds so simple. I just got to keep my eyes on Jesus. How do I live in the world with just my eyes in my Bible and my eyes closed in prayer? Uh, it starts simple, seek the Lord. But then it's this wonderful thing. We belong to his kingdom, and then God gives us instructions, marching orders, and we go do them. But sometimes we run with marching orders that we think are his and are not quite certain, and then we get into more of a mess than we should have been in anyways. We start with the simple, seek Jesus. We live in a world that's wanting to draw our attention in. Here's another thing that we, could, we should rant about for at least a little bit. Like, social media is terrible. Because what is social media? It's all about me. Look at me. Look at my life. The best possible glossy filtered version of my life. And, you know, adults hopefully have some ability to process the challenges and the opportunities that social media provides. I particularly feel for young people that don't have the capacity. Why? Because they're young. And we need to shelter and cause people and to, be, uh, to help set them up in an environment where they're not. Okay, there's a reason, as I ram ramble and ram some things together here. It's no surprise that our younger generations are more confused uh, about gender sexuality. They're more anxious and depressed than any other generation ever. No surprise, they're the first ones to grow up with social media. That says, look at you all of the time. 
And then what does social media do? It feeds you things that it thinks you're going to like. So look at the whole world just keeps presenting you more you and shoveling more you. We've got to get our eyes off ourselves and on to Jesus to line up with the truth of the world, of his creation for us. Again, Paul didn't need to write in Colossians, be aware of TikTok and Facebook, because they didn't exist, but the same heart problems were there. There's different manifestations. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Looking up at the clock, and I'm going to cut some stuff out. Here we go. So what do we do? We keep our eyes on Jesus. I like 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. The Colossian church was facing that. We have arguments, lofty opinions being raised against the knowledge of God in our world today too. Did God really say that? Does God get to say that? Is he really the boss? Aren't you the boss of you? And it's all these sorts of thoughts get thrown at us. And what does it say? And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Again, you're the boss of you, of where your eyes are, where your thoughts are. And so what the solution is, we keep our eyes on Jesus. Well, let's be mildly practical. What do we do? What does that even look like, fixing your eyes on things above? Like we've already alluded to, it's going to include times in the Word. It's going to look like times of prayer. It's also going to look like times of having just regularly ongoing conversation with Jesus. Believer, talk to Jesus more. All of the time. There's some people that I, I, I look up to, some ministries that I've read over the... There's a lady, I've, I've mentioned her before. I read a ch, uh, part of one of her books last year to, in, a, in a sermon series, Catherine Kuhlman. Some of you knew she was an evangelist and all that stuff. She was a bit quirky, but she loved Jesus. And she's quoted as saying, I don't often spend a half an hour in prayer, but I never go half an hour without praying. What does that mean? That we don't just pray Sunday morning and like before bedtime. Now we should pray Sunday morning and we should pray at bedtime. But also just regularly through the day. That's what I was talking about at 3.30 in the morning when I'm reorganizing furniture and doing these things. I'm just talking to Jesus. It's just so amazing to walk with him. What might that look like in your life? To set intentional moments through the day where you just are like, I got to get my eyes on Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk with you. Finding moments and times. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitating being super specific because what ends up happening, we get a bit religious about X amount of time and certain kinds of places and certain behaviors of the spiritual ones. and love. Whatever works in your life as rhythm and routine and pattern to spend time talking to Jesus, thumbs up. If that looks like setting a timer on your phone to go off a few times a day to be like, talk to Jesus time, go for it. If it's whatever's going to, you know your rhythms and things, spend time talking with Jesus. Let's cultivate that actual relationship with him. I was talking with somebody this week and uh, sharing a bit about our story uh, with them about that, you know, as, as uh, the transition that we're walking through and, and how God brought that. God spoke. God told us to do this. And the guy looks at me and he's like, and exactly how did God speak to you? Which is a great question for an unbeliever to ask. Because as Christians, we just say, well, God made it clear and told us to do this. And then the non-believer is like, okay, I need some details. But again, walking with Jesus, his sheep hear his voice. As we walk with him, God drops stuff in your spirit. 
puts a thought in your mind that wasn't there before. As you come to the word, things come alive. Nikki demonstrated for us today as we're worshiping a song, that song kind of sparked this thing that the Lord put in your heart to encourage others. There's all these ways, but we know his voice as he speaks, these conversations with him. But I also say some of the other ways that we keep our eyes on Jesus, gratitude. Gratitude is one of those ways you lift your eyes up. Because we can very easily get into their stuff to do and I've got this and I've got that situation and what's that going to happen with and, and oh, that thing's broken. It's not good. How am I going to fix this and finish that? And what about the kids and this circumstance and this sort of thing? I need to, we need to lodge our eyes and our minds higher and gratitude is one of those keys. Just thanking the Lord for his goodness, his kindness and his love in our lives. And then also we can think of some other things. How do we get our eyes off ourselves? We serve somebody else. Jesus demonstrated that beautifully. All eyes should have been on Jesus, and he goes and washes feet. He might have been demonstrating something for us. In service to others, we lift our eyes up. Now, there's also a risk. We can then overplay that hand and get drawn in. That's why we need to spend time with Jesus. Looking looking to him. I love that uh, Ivan was mentioning there in, in the announcements. We're celebrating as a Foursquare movement around the world our, hundredth, our centennial year, 100 years of Foursquare. And Foursquare, from its beginning days, is this, this phrase, Foursquare. And sometimes, every now and then, I like to just reference, well, what does that even mean? Because sometimes you might have been around forever and still not know what the Foursquares are. Jesus is our Savior, healer, baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and soon coming King. Why do I mention it? We're a Jesus-focused movement. Might we be Jesus-focused believers? Citizens of heaven keeping our eyes on our Savior. This world has gone bananas. No surprise. Our first response, look at Jesus. He's marvelous. He's incredible. Never changing. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus, 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 Jesus. It's one of those things, too. You don't know what to do? Just cry out his name. It's a good place to start. What are you doing? You're telling your whole self, look up. And then you begin to meditate on his power. Jesus, you're seated at the right hand of the Father. All power authority is in your hands. Jesus, you're coming again soon. I've got hope for the future. Jesus, you hear me when I pray. Things begin to shift when we just remember the truth. So we've been talking today. Shauna, if you want to come, that'd be awesome. We're going to wrap this thing up. and Just let's keep loving Jesus, church. Let's be known for that. Let's be known as people that Walk with him and share him with others. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to just pray for us briefly. And Thank you, Jesus. And as we do that, I want to give you an opportunity to practice a little bit. Lifting your eyes. Would anyone even just be so bold? Just probably a lot of us. Like, again, I was ch- share, I'll share you one story and then I'll ask you a question. Um, a number of months ago, we're kind of like just believing, Lord, you're going to help us and sell our house and stuff. And I was in great faith and, and all of these sorts of things. And, 
and then life happens and you're stuck into flooring and trim and all these things and you're like, ah, oh, how's this all gonna happen? And you kind of get, we're like this and then like that and there's like a little head of shake. Lord, you're still faithful. This is normal part of the Christian life. I don't know any Christian that's like, like, and I said, set our mind. We've got to set it there. And it's like, sometimes we've got to fight to, I'm going to keep it above water. I'm going to look at the Lord. But come on, let's be real. There's times because of the things of life. Let's look up. So I don't know where you, there's a, which circumstance today you need to just begin to look up and say, and to begin to think about who Jesus is, his power, his ability, his unchanging quality. Maybe there's a situation that you're like, I don't know how I'm going to break this, figure out this situation. I don't know what breakthrough, how that's going to happen. Would you even right now begin to just think about the character and nature of the Lord? Let's get our eyes even off of our problem. We can get in that kind of death spiral of this, all we think about. And sometimes we just need to be like, Jesus, you're the image of the invisible God. Jesus, I thank you as I see your words in scripture, the way you interacted, you reveal the Father, his love and his power. Jesus, I thank you that you created everything. God, I, Jesus, I thank you that you hung stars in, the, in space. Jesus, I thank you. You know how long the Milky Way galaxy is and how far away the next star was because you hung them there. Oh, Jesus, you're so big. You're beyond my comprehension. God, I thank you. You make gravity. <laughs> Just meditate on that if you're stressed out. Jesus made gravity. I don't even understand gravity, but he made it. Let's lift our eyes. Would you just come, let's come before the Lord in this moment. Jesus, we come into your presence. And once again, we thank you for this invitation. Lord, in the midst of winds and temptations and indoctrinations and crazy things in our world, we just simply come back to the truth of scripture. Seek Jesus, set our minds on him. And so we seek you even now in prayer. We choose, Lord, to set our minds Forgive us, Lord, where we spent time looking far too long down and in. Today, Lord, we're choosing to look up and out. <laughs> up to you, the things that are above. I thank you that we belong to an unshakable kingdom. Why? Because our king never changes. I thank you, Lord, today that we, there's no situation that's impossible because our God, our Jesus is still the God of the impossible. Nothing is too difficult for you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you know you spun the moon at just the right distance from the earth so that the tides would work. You, you composed water in such a way that it would sustain not only just existence but the thriving of life. Jesus, you did that. And so we present to you ourselves we even we present our problems in the perspective and scale of how great you are Jesus we think of you and Jesus we also continue to think of you as our lord so we prayed earlier you're the boss you're my creator and i submit to you Jesus, I thank you. We thank the Lord of your worthiness to be called Lord. You're loving and just. Perfect in power. 
mighty God, wonderful counselor. You're the Prince of Peace. Jesus, help us to think of you more often. God, we pray, even as the psalmist prayed, keep our eyes from worthless things as we set our attention on you. And Lord, I also pray too for practical wisdom. Lord, if there's things in our lives, if there's, 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 yeah, if there's things that just need to, they're, they're drawing us, our focus, our thinking to the pit, Lord, I just pray that there would be boldness among your people, Lord, to just radically line our lives up with the truth and reality of your word. We give our lives afresh to you today. Bless you. Thanks for joining us today. We trust that the Lord has something great in store for you. Do you have a question or a prayer request? Send an email to info at gatewayfoursquare.ca or find us on Facebook at GatewayCR. Don't forget we gather each Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. at 403 Fifth Avenue here in beautiful Campbell River. Have a great day.